0: tolerate creationism. But of all the cases that have been filed over the years, it is extremely rare, if ever, that any creationist has won. And so we're very excited today to invite uh, my client, Mark Armitage, to Freedom's Ring today to talk about a an historic, historic win. Mark, welcome to Freedom's Ring, my friend.
1: Thank you, Alan. Good to be here.
0: We have been through quite, uh, quite a, uh, an ordeal together, haven't we?
1: Yes, we have. Uh, it, just in the six months or so, seven months that we've prosecuted this case, it seems like a lifetime.
0: Well, it feels that way sometimes, compressed into a short time. Um, you were fired from a public university biology department because of some research findings that you published that support a creationist's worldview. First, let's start with your findings. What is it that you published that was so offensive to your colleagues in the biology department?
1: Well, I had read about soft tissue and dinosaur bones for many years, and I was just enthralled by it. And so when the opportunity came to go on a dig uh, in Montana, uh, I heartily went and took a small team with me, and we found a very large Triceratops horn, which had been ripped away uh, from the skull of Triceratops and was uh, buried point down in the uh, in the matrix, they call it, the soil, about a foot from the surface of the Montana winters and summers. And so we brought that home. It actually fell apart in our hands when we brought it home, although some pieces are made together. But I was astonished to find large, stretchy sheets of bone uh, material. Bone is, is produced by collagen first. There's a collagen carpet that's laid down, and then these little cells come in called osteocytes, bring in the bone mineral, and then it finally hardens. So this was a sheet of uh, pre-hardened bone that was caught in the act, as it were, and, uh, and it stunned everyone uh, who saw it, and I got it published. I got my results published in an international journal.
0: Now, when you say "soft tissue, I think of things like skin that decomposes very, very rapidly. Uh, what exactly was this that you found inside of the horn?
1: Well, it was not very much different from skin. Uh, skin is what we call a labile tissue. it doesn't last very long and uh, and this fibrillar bone, the stretchy, soft bone, does not have the minerals impregnated into it yet, and so so the the horn is in the process of uh turning that into hard bone but it, it's a constant cycle so there's always going to be some pieces of this soft stretchy tissue kind of like skin but on the inside deep inside the bone
0: now you're saying it wasn't mineralized i mean it wasn't it was any part of what you dug up fossilized
1: yes some of the bone was partially Uh, fossilized, we call it partial mineralization in the paper and so uh, the, the action of the water and the minerals and time on the bone in the soil did fossilize some of it but not all of it because we were able to dissolve some of the bone in a weak acid which is what pathology labs do in hospitals every day all over the world.
0: So you're saying what you found, first of all When we say a horn, how big a piece was this?
1: Well, it was about 48 inches long, including the part of the skull that was still attached to it, because it was ripped away, you see, under these violent processes. The whole horn and part of the brow, the skull of the Triceratops, were ripped away in this violent process.
0: So you got this four-foot-long piece, and you said by the time you got it home, it had kind of fallen into a number of pieces?
1: Well, when we took it out of the ground, it started to fall apart, and we had to jacket it. Uh, they, this is common in paleontology. You put a plaster casting around it to hold it together. Uh, but when I got it home, it was it was fractured in many pieces. There were plant roots going through it. There were fungal bodies growing uh, throughout it. In fact, we found the DNA of over 30 different organisms in the horn itself.
0: So... You said you published your findings that there was actually soft tissue that had not been fossilized.
1: Correct. It had not been turned into bone by the bone itself, and it had not been permineralized or fossilized uh, by the action of water in the ground, which is astonishing because they tell us these things are 60 million years old or older.
0: Well, and so as tissue, if it's not fossilized, it would be expected to break down pretty rapidly, wouldn't it?
1: Yes, I think the half-life of some of these tissues is uh, 500 at the most 1,000 years, and so it it is astonishing to find any soft tissues at all. They should not be there by everything we know about tissue decay.
0: Now, this is not the first time that soft tissue has been discovered in, in dinosaur remains, right?
1: Oh, no. Um, However, most of the other finds uh, have to do with tissues that are uh, deep inside of femurs or the long bones that that are uh, very heavily encapsulated. This horn was vascular and it was wide open to everything in in the environment. So that's what makes this world first discovery an astonishing one because up till the time that we found this, everybody thought you had to go looking for long bones in order to find soft tissue.
0: So what's the significance? And remember, you're talking to a bunch of non-scientists here. <laughs> what's the significance of, you said that, um, I mean, it was not encapsulated in, in of a bone. So it was, ex- you're saying it was exposed to all kinds of things that would be expected to contribute to its decay?
1: Yes, absolutely. It was exposed not only to oxygen and to water, uh, it was exposed to microbes and to fungal bodies and to insects uh, and bacteria and a myriad of things that would contribute to rapid decay of these things. And, and so it's astonishing. It, it's just unbelievable that any of this would have been found inside of such a cracked, torn-up, uh, you know, root-ridden um, horn bone uh, less than uh, two feet, one foot from the surface of the Montana ground.
0: Now, you know, as we discussed I, I don't want to name names as far as discussing those um at the university that were involved with this, but the the professor who accepted your article for publication was actually quite an esteemed um uh senior faculty member who had been honored with a presidential award. Yes. And what was his um what was his response to you when he saw your article?
1: Well, he'd been uh, encouraging me uh, for a long time to submit a paper to the journal because I had been a reviewer for papers written by other PhDs around the world, and he was very pleased with my reviews. And so, and uh, when I found these uh, these soft issues, i and he said, "Come on, you got to submit." Uh, I did, and his first response was really interesting because he called me on the phone. And he said, uh, "Mark, this is very controversial." And I said, "Yes, doctor, it is." And he said, "Okay, thank you," and he hung up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's all he said. It's very controversial.
1: Yes, that's all he said. And he, in fact, fast tracked this paper. I think I submitted it in early December. Uh, it was sent back for review about the middle of December, and then it was accepted. Uh, the 4th or 5th of January, which is unheard of. Most of my papers take about a year from acceptance to see publication, and this was already published in the online version of the journal in February.
0: Well, uh, I suppose that's because it was ready for publication. It didn't need a lot of editorial revision.
1: Well, that's true, but usually there's a long queue of papers ahead of you, so I was really astonished that they moved this uh, so quickly into print.
0: Now, how long after the article was published and you were notified that you were being fired?
1: Uh, within about a week of the article appearing online, I was told by my direct supervisor that there was a witch hunt against me, and he kept asking me, "What have you been doing? You know what, Why is there this witch hunt?" And the only thing I could figure was uh, the article's appearance, and then a week later, I received my letter of termination, so two weeks.
0: Well and um, previously, some months earlier, another faculty member found out about your research and, and uh, came and confronted you. Uh, what was it that he said to you?
1: Well, uh, yes, he did confront me rather angrily. Uh, he He did not have access to my lab, and so he was pounding on the outer door, and I opened the door, and he brushed past me, and then turned around and stuck his finger in my face and said, we're not going to tolerate your religion in this department or your little creationist projects either. Uh, Now, that, first of all, I said, uh, the first thing that came out of my mouth was, well, what's unscientific about soft tissue and dinosaur bone? Because I knew that's exactly what he was talking about. And and then I said, I think you just committed a crime against me uh, because of my right to free speech and my right to practice my religion. And um, so it was not a very pleasant conversation. We agreed to discuss it with uh, the chair of the department and with my direct supervisor, but that never happened.
0: Well, you know, this has been an historic win in the sense that we achieved a a very successful settlement of the case, Um, one that they clearly would not have entered into if uh if they didn't realize that we could prove the wrongdoing.
1: Well I have to thank you for that. You did a masterful job and I you just did a fabulous job, so thank you.
0: <laughs> well, you know, not to uh engage in in false humility here, but I really do feel that uh I sensed God's providential leading throughout. Amen. Because as as you know we were under extreme time duress that the court was holding us to and um it just was amazing how much conflicting evidence came out, and each witness would contradict the other, and we caught them in lie after lie after lie, yes. and uh, by the time we were done, their case had more holes than a kitchen sieve.
1: Oh, I agree. I was amazed also. And I I just, you know, during the whole thing, even from the beginning, I laid it all at the Lord's feet. And I think that's the one thing that really, to me, made the difference was in my heart, I was prepared to accept any decision from the court uh, and give God the glory for it. And I think, you know, He honored that by allowing these folks to contradict each other and for us to uncover the things that we did, Um, because initially, as you know, Alan, I went through six or seven other attorneys uh, before I found you, so (laughs) it didn't look good from the beginning, I'll say that.
0: Well, you know, we're very grateful to God. As I intimated at the start of the show, creationism has not done well in the courts, And um, to our knowledge, this is really the first time that a creationist fired for their faith uh, from a public institution, especially a biology department, first time for a historic win. Um, And I hope that it encourages, you know, believers in other university settings to, you know, take some courage for their faith. Amen. Yes. Our guest today, as we close, has been my client, Mark Armitage, a historic win for a creationist fired for his faith from a public university. Mark, just a delight to to have you on the show today.
1: Thank you, Alan. God bless you.
0: And as we close, we want to remind our listeners here at Freedom's Ring, we don't just talk the talk about religious freedom. We offer legal services to those like Mark Armitage, those suffering religious discrimination. Please check out our legal resources page at churchstate.org, churchstate.org. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring.